We are a country which cannot alone deal with the speculation. So uh, this is, has become a European problem because if we do have a major problem, this could create a contagion. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd. That was Greek Prime Minister George Papandreou, you heard at the top, speaking during an interview with Andrew Marr of the BBC on Sunday. Today on the podcast, a country that was once a superpower that is now a super disaster. But first, our plan. Can we call a country a super disaster? Yeah, it's it's not our country. Oh, okay. So... (laughs) Fine. First, our planet money indicator, David. It is 2018. That is the number of years between the birth of Jesus Christ and the birth of the Cadillac tax for large health care plans. What kind of indicator is this? <laughs> That's a Jacob Goldstein indicator. Uh, Jacob is our new blogger. He contributed that, the indicator for today. I see. So Jacob Goldstein still has his mind in health care because he was the Wall Street Journal healthcare blogger until recently. He is now Planet Money's brand new blogger correspondent. Woohoo! Welcome, Jacob. Yeah. So, if the White House has its way, and the White House just released its proposal for a healthcare overhaul yesterday, um, that would be the year when the Cadillac tax would kick in on large healthcare plans. So, Obama basically said, okay, I still want this Cadillac tax on expensive plans, but I'm willing to wait until the year 2018 instead of 2013, which was the date that was in the Senate. And as we've talked about this a lot before, healthcare economists generally really like the idea of taxing these expensive plans, but people who have the plans, like union members, do not. So today, the former superpower that we're going to talk about, I'll give you a hint, uh, it used to do very well at the Olympics, but hasn't been a superpower for a very, very long time. And when you think of this country, you don't think of nuclear weapons, you think of olives. Greece offers a delightful combination of ancient history, modern-day hedonism, and strikingly picturesque islands. Justly proud of its unrivaled legacy of poets, philosophers, and mythological tales, Greece also brought us the Olympics, and its ancient capital of Athens was a symbol of freedom, art, and Greece. democracy. Greece, of course, recently we've been hearing some different things about Greece. It's been in the center of the financial news a lot recently. We've heard about how it may be in danger of default on its debt, not being able to pay back everyone who bought Greek bonds, and how this could be a much, much larger catastrophe. And Hannah, I've been I've read a lot of these stories, and I'm just going to confess I've been sort of confused. And you, you know, I mean, you know, the markets are, are freaked out, right? Because people who are loaning the Greek government money, buying their bonds, are requiring higher and higher interest payments, saying. Okay, I'll loan you money, but you're going to have to pay me back plus more interest. But I, I kind of feel like I walked into a play late, like at the in the second act somewhere. Perhaps a Greek tragedy. Yeah, a Greek <laughs> tragedy. And I'm trying to piece everything together, Can but I I'm confused. Without doing evil, leave the fleet in the lurch. Shirka! Deserta! And I keep wanting to whisper to my neighbor, like, why is everyone so upset? Why does Greece need to be bailed out? So be it then. 
daughter. There's no other so, way. So today on the podcast, we have uh, Greece 101, or a Greek tragedy in two parts. We ask a smart person two stupid questions about the Greek crisis. Question number one, why is Greece in so much trouble? Question number two, why does it matter that this tiny little country is in so much trouble? So the smart person we're going to talk to is Ken Rogoff. He's an economist at Harvard and former chief economist at the International Monetary Fund. The IMF is the body that ends up bailing out countries like Greece when they get in trouble. And Ken was just in Greece. And Hannah, you know how sometimes in the middle of like a financial crisis, like we were in the heat of here recently. You can walk out on the street and things kind of feel normal. He says, in Greece right now, things do not feel normal. They're very nervous about what's going on. So first of all, things aren't normal. There are strikes every other day, the labor unions, the farmers, uh, there are roads that you can't get out of Athens because somebody's blocking it. How did Greece get here? How did it, how, how did it get in so much trouble? <laughs> well... You know, it's a long road, David. I mean, you have to understand that going back to when they achieved independence in 1829, Greece has been repeatedly in financial trouble. In fact, they've been in default on their government's debt roughly half their years since independence. Uh, the last default, outright default they had was in 1932, but it didn't clear up till the mid-60s. Well, uh, of course, they've gone through a lot of military junta. They've changed to democracy. They're joining the euro. And things were looking pretty good. And so banks all over the world, investors all over the world said, well, let's give Greece another look. Maybe this time is different. This time is different. <laughs> Probably a good place to point out that that is the title of a book Rogoff wrote with Carmen Reinhardt. We've had her on the show before, too. This time is different. Eight centuries of financial folly. It's a book about how we seem to get ourselves in trouble over and over and over again in pretty much exactly the same way. And one key to getting in trouble is borrowing, which is what Greece did, uh, both the private sector and the public sector. The entire country has basically been living off credit for a long time. And it got worse actually after the financial crisis because Greece, like a lot of countries, launched a big stimulus project, engaged in a lot of government spending, which, of course, that money had to come from somewhere, and that meant more borrowing. Uh, Greece now has a plan, some new austerity measures to try and cut back on things like very generous pension plans they have for government employees. But the government is still in debt and still spending an enormous amount of money. One stunning figure I heard when I was there a couple of weeks ago was that their spending had been 45% of their income. That's government spending. I mean, in the United States, it's a high mid-20s at the moment, so it's much, much higher increase. Well, they took it from 45 to 52 when the crisis hit to try to boost things up. And one of the things that's giving investors jitters is that when Greece announced that it uh, was borrowing a lot more than it thought, and they announced their so-called austerity program. This 7% increase in spending, going from 45 to 52%, they didn't seem to want to cut it back. They talk about just a tiny, tiny change. And so that makes investors wonder what's going on. And, and those, those numbers, Hanna, that is another thing that makes investors nervous. The Greek government, they sort of have a problem with their 
reporting your numbers. That is true. So there's there's actually a story in the Financial Times yesterday that reported that Greece missed a deadline for submitting some financial data, in part because the people at the Greek finance ministry were out on strike. With everyone else. But more seriously, late last year, the Greek government had to make some serious revisions to its deficit and its debt numbers. It sure shook up investors when the Greek government said, you know, when we said that our deficit this year was going to be 4% of our national income, oops, we made a mistake. It's 12%, maybe 13%. That that just shocked people. I mean, they were already worried about the debt levels in Greece. And they go, you know, what gives? You don't have any idea what you're doing. You don't know how much you're borrowing. And so that that really gave markets the jitters. And they, this is a society that's even more fractured politically than the United States. I mean, we could go on and on about the paralysis in the United States. It's worse in Greece. I mean, 30% of Greek income is probably off the books completely. People not paying taxes. A lot of rich people don't pay taxes. The government uh, spends about half of uh, GDP, so about half of all spending is the government. Is there something underneath that that's fundamentally dysfunctional about the... Does Greece have something to do to contribute to the global economy? I mean, fundamentally, is, is there something there that they're, that they're good at that they can contribute? Well, well you asked, um, what do the Greeks produce? Uh, well, a lot of things. I mean, one thing, for example, is tourism. That's a very, very big industry in Greece. Uh, they, I think they must hold 25% of the world's shipping industry, believe it or not. Uh, run by Greek companies. There, there are a lot of uh, dynamic Greek companies. The financial system actually has been uh, do, doing uh, fairly well. Hannah, did I sound stupid enough asking that question there? <laughs> the one about the fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> like, do they do anything good? Yeah. Our Greek listeners, we do really love Greece. <laughs> um, okay, so so they they have some viable industries, but you know they've had some problems. They've gotten into too much debt. We understand why there are problems there. So let's move on to stupid question number two: Who cares? Why does Greece matter? You know why why did the financial markets get freaked out when this started to happen to a very small country? In the scheme of things, Greece is really pretty small. Its economy is one tenth the size of Germany's. According to the World Bank, Greece is the 27th largest economy in the world, coming in just after Iran. So I asked stupid question number two to Ken Rogoff. That's another thing I haven't really understood very well about this, which is that the entire Greek economy is smaller than some companies in the United States. And and yet, it, you know, it, it's causing sort of tremors around the world. Why? Why is that? Because Greece is the tip of the iceberg. And if Greece goes... Uh, people wonder who's next. What would, that mean? what would of... that mean? What would that mean if it goes, though? I mean, what is actually the big deal if Greece defaults on its debt? You've pointed out it's defaulted on its. It's been default on its debt for half of its history, or something. Well, why is it why ha- is that such a catastrophe? Because there are a lot of other countries in Europe, Portugal, Spain, for example, that have also defaulted on their debts a lot of their history. And they're, you know, in different degrees, fairly shaky. And investors look at Greece and say, wait a second, nobody bailed them out. Nobody rescued them. Who's going to rescue Portugal? Who's going to rescue Spain? And then they might look at Italy, Ireland. These are all members of the euro. They're all heavily extended. And it it could really spread outside the eurozone. So there's a concern, and it's a very big one, that if Greece goes, it'll shake up investor confidence. They'll see 
that the emperor has no clothes. They'll see that there's no one really to bail out these countries, and they'll start attacking other countries. They'll start charging high interest rates. Okay, Hannah, so let me just repeat the logic here. If we let Greece default, and Greece says, sorry, all you people who bought our government bonds, we're not going to be able to pay you all your money back. Um, if if you think about that in isolation, that that sort of seems okay to me, right? I mean, maybe even it's maybe it's good because investors will be more wary about lending to Greece in the future, which they probably should be, right? Or if they lend, they'll demand higher interest rate payments. When that would be good too, because it would discourage Greece from borrowing, and clearly they've been borrowing too much. But the fear is that if Greece defaults, investors will start to worry about other countries and start charging those countries higher interest rates when they lend to them. And that could push those countries over the edge into default. And then you get this whole ugly chain reaction. And that is the argument right now for the European Union or the International Monetary Fund to come in and bail out Greece. So basically, is Greece Lehman Brothers? <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it sounds very familiar. It's like the financial crisis when the government was deciding whether or not to bail out Lehman Brothers. There was this whole argument of, you know, if we let Lehman fail and Lehman did fail, one result was that a lot of people really panicked. Yeah, I mean, there are people who would argue, right, that bailing out Lehman wouldn't have made much difference. Someone else would have failed, maybe in this case Portugal or something. But um, yeah, I mean, is the EU or the IMF going to treat Greece like Bear Stearns and bail it out, or is it going to let it be like Lehman and, and fail? And Hanna, it's good we're talking about the United States. Ken Rogoff would be very happy about that because he would not stop talking about the United States. Oh, really? I kept asking about Greece, and he kept talking about Greece. And then he'd say, but you know, Greece is not that different from us, not that different from the United States. We have a lot of debt, too. And at some point, he said, you know, the market could begin to lose confidence in us. Just think, if somebody came in here and said, you can't borrow money anymore in the United States... You can't, your government can't run these giant deficits. You can't run these giant deficits as a country, these trade deficits. You just got to balance your books. You don't have to do better, but just balance your books. We would collapse. We would not handle it well. You know, if the United States think this can't happen here, think again. I mean, uh, we we need to get ahead of this. When, when uh, the investment community loses faith in you. It can happen so fast. But where else so are they going to go? Where else, you know, we we, oh, we are in this weird place of being like, well, I guess you know, it's, it's the United oh, States see, but, or, any, or, or nothing. No, right? but it, no, but it's enough. They can just shift into other kinds of assets, commodities, uh, stocks. They, they just have to stop liking our treasury bills as much. There are lots of places to go. Don't you think that would happen gradually, though, and not suddenly? Would you know the, the experiences? It happens. It happens very suddenly. That's but that's often when they have some place safer, you know, dramatically safer to go. Like someone, they'll be enthusiastic. Investors will be enthusiastic about. Uh, you know, some country, and then they get freaked out, and they'll they'll shift to U.S. Treasuries or something. Where do you go? I mean, commodities don't seem any safer than Treasuries. So, so it can't happen as fa- as as big a spike, but we're soon approaching owing a hundred percent of GDP. We owe thirteen trillion dollars, and let's suppose interest rates on our debt over a few years went up two uh, percent. Uh, that that would involve a pretty dramatic uh, rise in general interest rates, but right. certainly nothing out of the ordinary that we haven't seen. Well, okay, we're going to come up with an extra $260 billion to be paying our interest payments. That's how much it would amount to like you. Mean, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, 
So where are we going to do that? Look at Congress. Do you think they're going to, like, vote tax increases or something? I mean, it, it's uh, – so the market, the market doesn't have to abandon you. It just has to start charging you more. And when you're as extended as we are, uh, when you owe as much, having a, a relatively small interest rate hike is really painful. We, and we, that's, that's why this uh, snowballs so fast. We, we were this extended after World War II, more so. That those comparisons are hyperbole. I mean, first, after World War II, uh, we came out on top of the world. We won World War II. We were just by far the dominant country. It was a great franchise. Second, uh, we freed up a ton of resources because we didn't have to spend money on World War II anymore. And so the government could cut its expenditures just like that without, you know, having to go through the kind of shenanigans, uh, not shenanigans, strains we have now. And we freed up all that labor to come back and work. We boomed. So, you know, sure, when you, when you come out of a war with a big debt and you won the war, uh, you can pay it down. It's been done. Britain's done even more. But this didn't happen that way. This happened from political paralysis. And there, why should we believe we'll just jump out of that political paralysis? And why should we believe we're going to grow extra fast in the coming decade? Uh, I, I, I think that's not realistic. So it's, it's a profoundly different problem than after World War II. You're talking a lot of trash about our country, man. <laughs> Well, uh, we are the greatest country in the world, and we're very creative, and maybe we'll find a creative way to default on our debt. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Jeez. Okay. Well, I would like to point out, David, after all that trashing of the U.S., that right now, as we speak in the 2010 Olympics going on right now, guess who is leading the medal count? We are the U.S. of A. And Greece has won zero medals in all of the Winter Olympics. So I feel better. Sorry, Greece. All right. I think that does it for us today. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like us to cover. Send us a note, planetmoney at npr.org. And check out the blog, npr.org slash money, with our new blogger, Jacob Goldstein, who's threatening to put up a scatter plot of Olympic medal count versus yield on the tenure bonds for various <laughs> countries. I'm David Kestenbaum. I'm Kana Jaffe-Walt. Thank you for listening. <laughs>